Hello, everyone, and welcome to Documentation Not Included, a tech industry podcast presented by DNI Stream, the live knowledge repository for software professionals. I did it. It's Thursday at 7 p.m. British time, and we're live on twitch.tv slash DNI Stream. I am Josie Howard, and as always, I, I have the best co-host ever, Chris Seabach. Not sure about the best co-host, but thank you once again, Josie. And uh, hello to everybody in chat. Once again, please do get involved. It is a live show, and we do field questions. Uh, your comments are always welcome, and you may get things read out on the show. Yeah. And before we get going, let's do our icebreaker, as we always do. It's a chance for me to ask questions about things that have nothing to do with either programming, development, software, or IT. And I have a great one because it's animal-related. People who are listeners of the show, watchers of the show, know that Chris and I kind of have a small love of animals. So here's my question. If you could teach your animals to say one word to you in English, what word would it be? Well, it sure as hell would not be meow because big meow, that's all he said. Oh, he's getting worse as he's getting older. The, the vet told us that he must be going senile as well. So God bless him. Oh you know. no, those um, little cotton socks. One word would be trays. Why trays? It would be our cats. In fact, guinea pigs as well, because the guinea pigs have trays as well, surprisingly. We've uh, trained them to use um, litter trays in the uh, corner of the little cages. Um, so it's litter trays. Tell, I need to know when the trays aren't, uh, aren't good enough, because I don't have the same sense of smell as them, and I want to make sure that they are comfortable, you know, weeing and pooing in their trays. So. Well, that's kind of funny, because for me, it would just be garden. Mm. Similar because kind of thing, yeah. It's it's pretty much similar to kind of thing. Um, both of my puppies are pretty much getting up there in their age. Uh, one of them is over fifteen. Um, one of them is pushing on twelve and thirteen right now. And I would just I I'd like warning mm. because I mean with cats at least um, when we had our Java boy, he had a particular meow for when he wanted attention, a very specific meow for when he wanted food, a very specific meow for when he was just goofing off, and a specific meow that said, if you don't let me outside, everything you know will be ruined. <laughs> but unfortunately, my puppies don't have that. So being able to know when they actually need to step outside or you know take care of themselves means that I can immediately take care of what needs to be done. I don't have to sit there going, why are you standing in the doorway of the, 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 the you asked to go out, but you're not going out. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I would say that almost everything else with our animals, like if they're ill or they're injured or they, uh, they want food or they want any, you know, want, they want some affection or they want love. You know, I was telling you just before the show, our, our Leela today, she sometimes is one of our cats. She sometimes, uh, jumps on the bed when I've had a shower and wants a love, and it must be because I'm clean or something. I don't know, because you know, I'm I'm freshly don't out of the shower. Smell like her dad anymore. Um, well, that's maybe that's it. it. But they've all got a very specific way of telling us something. But the trays, I genuinely don't know when they're too smelly. Could be after one use. It could be after fifteen uses. I've got no idea. Or with cats, knowing that they don't like the litter that's in use. Yeah, that would be that would be very useful, but. I mean, I was, I think they're all, one of them, uh, they're going too, too deep into how our cats use our literature. <laughs> 
See, I told you that nothing to do with dev, right? Yeah, so right? anyway, today's show is entitled Migration Mumbles Part 2. We have done a show on migration before. We had uh, one of our guests, Mark Walsh, one of my friends, who came on and talked to us about code migration specifically. At the moment, both Josie, well, I'm right in the middle of a migration. I know Josie very recently did a migration that was causing her a lot of headaches. Um, so, I and I finished it and I started yet another migration. So she's on another migration. And so, but what we're here to do, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about the different types of migrations because it's not just about code in our world. No. I, I'm not touching code at the moment. I'm writing some code for the migration. I'm writing scripts and things, but I'm not actually migrating um, code from one framework to another. And that's what we were specifically talking about with Mark last time. Um, so let's start with uh, a, a quick question to Josie. As always. Oh, oh no! I, I'm I'm on the spot. I, I'm what, worried. What? Let's let's start with what are the types of migrations? What do we? Um, I mean, it's a really open question because we can. You know, there's a lot of different types of it. <laughs> but immediately, when when you when someone says migration, what immediately pops in your head? Well, at least where I'm at is they're either migrating locations for servers or platforms that they're using, or they're migrating from one particular um, framework to another framework. So that's the main ones. The, when I've been brought in to help someone with a migration that's more process oriented, that is another one as well. So, you know, they're uh, helping people follow a particular path in a project or bringing a project back under control, that kind of a thing. Like, it's those three key ones seem to be the ones that I end up having the most, um, that happen the most to yeah. me. So it I mean, almost sounds like I'm complaining. It's the same here. I, I have almost exactly the same code um, process or some kind of infrastructure of some description, whether it's hardware mm. or something software related. But there's one thing that all those three things have in common, and that's people. Yes. <laughs> and, and every single time I've had to do a migration, I have to, especially with the bigger clients, with the bigger um, teams of people or more than one team involved, I have to very carefully plan it and impact those people as minimally as possible. I can't really, because their, their work is what, you know, pays the bills, what pays the, the client's bills. It's what pays me ultimately as well. So I need mm -hmm. to make sure that I'm making as little an impact as possible on those people. Um, so let's ha let's talk about how we do that. Well, well, in, in, that's the thing. In in my case, one of the things I'm doing right now is uh, there is a, um, a a set of clients that are moving from one hosting provider to a different hosting provider, and I am the basically the pipeline for that. So key things are making certain that the site is always available, making certain that the visitors aren't impacted, making certain that the people who actually use the site and update whatever it is they update can do what they need to do. But there's a whole part of the process involved with that. And of course, in my case, it's not just the production platform that has to be moved. It's also the staging platform as well. So it's a chance to sort of reevaluate everything. Hmm. So one of the very first things I do is I try and ask what the requirements are. What is literally required? Like what is the, if this happens, it is the end of the world for us as a team. What do they see as their major blockers and or showstoppers is actually an old term back from Windows 95, the book showstoppers. I highly recommend reading. It wasn't Windows 95, it was Windows NT, I think it was actually. The, um, 
It is going back a bit, but Showstoppers was actually a name of a book written by a guy who was involved in that. Anyway, point is, if I understand what they literally cannot handle as a threshold, I can actually then start to figure out, well, who's really going to be impacted by this? And then I can work with each one to say, hey, for example, your um, well, mailing platform is going to be impacted and there's going to be about a five minute window where there could be a glitch, but I do everything I can to limit that. So I try and have things running concurrently in some cases and other cases, but it's it's literally making certain that I talk to them because if they don't tell me, like if they say just move all this stuff and I'm like, you're, th does this mean that I could just put up like a big old, you know, construction worker gift that just says, hey, we're busy right now? Or, no, that no, I need clear delineated rules of things that just can't be processed past so i have my box that i can then build my sandcastle in yeah so i mean one one thing is um for me it's website migrations and i've done probably more website migrations than uh, and it's usually web apps you know so it, that's what i was gonna say it's web apps that are usually the thing they're, yeah. they're fairly complicated in in some instances because you've got multiple parts to them you've got the database you've got the front end you've got the back end if there's if they're separate um you've got um Sometimes uh, you've got user accounts to migrate over. You've got new passwords to generate occasionally. It really does depend. Could be a, a SQL server to a MySQL migration. And that's yes. code changes as well as changes. But that's usually a planned project thing. So yeah. specifically, I'm looking, at, um, I'm looking at migrations that are uh, low impact, as low impact as possible on the users and is a benefit to the client as well. I mean, nobody's going to pay me to do a migration from one system to another for for free. You know, for, sorry for for be, want of a better term for giggles, if you know what I mean. Um, they're, they're not they're, <laughs> just, for, just because we yeah, felt like for it. fun. The old excuse we have in the world of IT of I did it just because I could does not apply in a business sense, and certainly not in a migration sense either, because migrations Ooh. can be very complicated and often. When we start a migration, as no matter how much work we put into planning it, in fact, not often, all the time, every time you do a migration, something happens, something crops up that isn't catered for. And this is another reason that I don't necessarily work on a kind of on a um, fixed fixed price way of working when it comes to migrations because they change considerably. Oh. Like, I've, um, Every step of the way. I've spent about two or three weeks, if not longer than that, having... Uh, I'm currently right in the middle of a migration right now. So I spent two or three weeks speaking to client, getting requirements, figuring out, speaking to all of their staff, figuring out what would be the best case and the worst case scenarios, figuring out kind of what the general path is. And again, as you said, they're, um, they're absolute can't-haves. You know, we cannot change this. And unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, they've been quite flexible. But at the same time, they have some can't-haves that have changed since we've started the migration. So the scope is changing. But the yeah. problem is, is with a migration as complicated as what I'm doing at the moment, which is, uh, I think I mentioned it last, potentially last week, um, an SVN um, code repository. You mentioned it also on our Wednesday stream while uh, we were live I, I as well. Um, an SVN migration to a Git, to a Git migration, but... SVN mm -hmm. and Git are two very different animals. They're source code control systems, but these are old source control. Uh, so this is a very old repository that has got 25 years of history that needs to be migrated over into the new way of working Ooh. with Git. 
But the problem is with, with Git is that there are all these caveats with how modules work, submodules, and Git repositories should be structured. And there's lots of things we can do to hack it. But the ideal world is kind of where they want to head. Fundamentally, they want to head that way, but they don't really have enough knowledge and information about that. And I've tried to give it to them, but there's a lot for them to take in, if you know what I mean. So all of these things are changing constantly. And that's the point I'm trying to get to here is that it's not even the thing that I've set in stone is not set in stone and it's going to change drastically. I've given myself leeway of yeah. probably four or five weeks on top of the, the time that I've quoted for because I know how I, complicated these things can get. I, I think that's one of the wisest things um, to keep in mind with a migration is never underestimate. It's easier to overestimate. I mean, if you think something is going to take you a week, it's it's not. I have yet to run into a situation like that. I mean, in my particular case, with the migrations and things that I'm doing, it is pretty much web apps just shifting from one server to another. But the entire thing has a much larger impact because there's a whole underlying infrastructure that is being pushed away entirely that has to be built for each individual web app, which of course takes time. And in my case, the, I had one particular client who's like, yeah, everything's fine. You should be able to shift it. And if we have like a, a minute downtime, we're going to be perfectly okay. That's not a problem. Um, and in fact, you should be able to knock it out probably really, really early in the morning because their traffic is really low at that time. Turn around, find out they're running a marketing campaign which basically means that if I want to do this, I have to sort of hit it in under the time. I actually have to do it faster than I really, really feel comfortable doing it. But it can be done. But I have stated, you know, there are potential glitches because you have pushed that deadline up because you've decided to do a marketing campaign when you knew perfectly clearly that there was a migration platform thing running underneath. But they accepted that risk. But the thing is, it's a, it's a communication thing has to keep happening. I'm glad they told me. It would really suck if in the end I got the phone call and like, why were you down for like 30 seconds? Like X amount of sales is lost. And I'd be like, but that's what it was scheduled for. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't quite work that way. But I mean, with most migrations, there has to be some element of downtime. And again, making a mm -hmm. client understand that. I mean, sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's 30 seconds. It really does depend on the scale of it. But then Absolutely. there's also a learning process as well sometimes with things like that I'm doing. I have to teach people how to use this new system. It's not just Git that I'm implementing. It's also Azure DevOps as well on top of that. So there's a whole learning process of one, how to get their account m m merged into Azure, into Azure Portal. I don't know if you've done any work with Azure uh, Josie, no. but it is extremely I, deep. I used, to, I used to think myself safe in that category. That Like, no, I just haven't had to. Um, and, and so there's not just that. It's one is figuring out over the years of currently there are uh, quite a few tenants that have been set up um, within Azure. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to figure out which one's the right one to use. The, the client's name has been reserved already. You know, it's been used as a, as a tenant in Microsoft Azure. Um, trying to figure out which one to use, which one's the most appropriate to use, where the licenses exist for all of the subscriptions for Azure DevOps and everything else, and then getting access to it. It turns out today, for some reason, and I don't know how this happened, they had a, um, they had a, a, 
uh, unmanaged Azure tenant that had no global administrators, so nobody had access to anything within the, the tenant. So there was users listed, but nothing else. And the, there was no subscription assigned to it, but they had subscriptions elsewhere. And, you know, and we wrote to Microsoft support and they said we had to sign up a free Power BI account in order to get access to the Azure tenant. So, I mean, I don't know why that occurred. I've never come across that before, but it was, luckily we got to the result of, right, we've now got global admin access and we can start doing some work. How many times in the migration process, regardless of what type of migration you're doing, whether you're, you know, migrating from like Windows XP to Windows Vista or whatever, like whatever type of migration, how many times have you run into a, that's never happened before? Every day of my life that happens. Oh, that's, that's new. <laughs> Oh, that must be something in the new update. Oh, that's uh, a new feature that's uh, that's just been rolled out. Or, or so, I mean, Microsoft's accounts online are absolute chaotic, absolutely chaotic because they, of the history. Yeah, the history going back to live, and then like all the other oh, things. We talk, you're, you're talking about personal accounts, but now the, the thing is, they've got personal and work accounts, and you can have the same email address that's, for both of them. Oscar Hersey. We're getting oh, into well, too many specifics but the, here, but basically. But, these yes. are all the things that can happen and go wrong with a migration and you can't cater for that and you can't plan for it. And mm -hmm. so the solution to that is, what's the solution, Josie, to to um, to not knowing what's coming up? <laughs> Give me one second while I type exclamation point stack. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hello, stack exchange. Well, no, the, the reality is it's, it's almost like uh, incident response management at that moment in time when we start looking at like the ITIL framework and stuff like that. If you have something that is just completely and utterly unplanned that just happens, you start the communication chain rolling and you get the people on it so that everyone is informed and knowing what's going on. That is like end all be all. It's literally at that point in time almost traverses into incident management because you need to keep a log of everything that's happening. You need to have people clear of how long it might take. If you don't know, you need to be clear about the fact that you don't know. If you're uh, run across an issue, and for example, I run across an issue with one particular migration where I ended up waiting 48 hours for the actual um, uh, creators of one tiny piece of an app that was um, imported in, they had to go and figure out what happened. I mean, I had to wait 48 hours. They had an entire team and there was an entire migration process at a massive blocker point. Now you can plan for rollbacks, mind you. I mean, that should kind of be part of a plan anyway, but sometimes you get to a point where that's that rollback is no longer an option. I mean, there's always that one break point yeah. for it. But, that's you know, during I, the actual migration. So that's when you've pressed the button to mm -hmm. do the migration itself. So mm -hmm. previous to that, my solution for this and most, most enterprise level solutions for this kind of thing is planning and discovery. And oh, I know you can't plan for every eventuality. In the migration process. So not well during the but, migration, something might go wrong. Yeah, of course. Well, but something always. Surely, surely well, by that point, before you actually click that button and, and go, we are migrating, there has to be a discovery process before that. Yes. And that is a, a very lengthy process. I've I've quoted like three or four weeks for this, just, just to just to write a script that pulls something from one place and pushes it into another one and then creates everything else it needs to create. And then I have to do manual configuration of things and then I have to script that manual configuration up. And I have to basically, what I will do is I will run tests in the background, fully fully That's fledged production tests in the background over and over and over until I, I am confident that pressing that button on day X 
is going to do what I want it to do. And it will do it in the right order and it will minimize downtime and minimize See, in impact. In your particular case, you could just like press the button and go. In, in my case, I actually have to phase it because well, I am at the mercy of several different things that I have zero control over. For example, propagation. Yes. Well, uh, the, the good thing about prop, uh, the, I say the benefit of uh, web and DNS propagation is that once you've clicked the button to do the propagation and you said, right, we're actually changing the records to point to this new place, that new place should already be configured. However, there's a problem with data and changeable data. Not just that, but there's also a problem with the fact that there are, um, for example, there are a couple of clients that I have who um, uh, basically inside of their environments for security purposes, they do a, a version of caching. And they have zero control of flushing the cache at all. They have an actual security or an infosec team that does that stuff for them for whatever purpose that they have. So when something happens and like that zero has pushed over, because generally speaking, if you're going to move a website from one place to another and you're changing your zone files in any way, shape or form, lower your TTL and give that time to propagate out so that new queries know to make these things. Hmm. But there are still issues because there are going to be cases where you're at the mercy of someone's router caching or someone's VPN caching or someone's um, like insert anything here. Caching screws with you, even with propagation. But yes, you should still have it all ready to go when you press that quote unquote button. But I cannot plan for Joe's computer in Alabama at, 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 to, to have that kind of a, uh, to, to, to be respond. able to, to to follow through properly because I I just can't control that stuff. Hmm. So there, are, I mean, to me, it's I'd love to be able to just sit there and click a button, but it doesn't quite work that way with me, or at least for the things that I do. Yeah. So to, the planning thing is important to me. If you're going to migrate, you should have a plan written out. Yeah. Including the risks for each step, what the rollback steps are if something does happen at that particular place and time, and who the involved stake parties are and the contacts for them. You have to be able to say, hey, you know, it's done, it's not done. Or, hey, we got to this point and we had to stop because insert some reason here. I mean, like all of that has to be, there, but the, the communication is so key. So there's one thing that you mentioned there about um, phased, uh, phased rollouts as well. I'm in, the, I'm in the process of doing a phased rollout because of the way that mm. I work with, uh, with my, well, this particular client and this particular engagement, because everyone is different. Um, they I'm, are. I've, no one does them the same. <laughs> I've quoted a, a five-phase rollout, I think, for this. Um, and it includes things like developer training. Uh, it includes things like the final switchover. But the actual early phases are all about discovery. They're all about figuring out how to do the migration, um, writing the scripts to do it, and actually you know, figuring out the, the all of the potential pitfalls between the systems. I've discovered so many things in the last couple of, well, week and a half um, that that I wasn't aware of. I wasn't aware we're going to be a problem. I just assumed it was going to be, and again, this is an assumption you sh probably shouldn't have, it was going to be a very clean copy and paste, really, between direct between directories and then, you know, copy history over and things like that. There was a, a natural migration path for this. There's, there's one set up, Git has a, a tool to do this. Um, but then... The complexity of the and the the size and the the sheer amount of history and revisions and commits in the in the source is is complicating things considerably. And again, without mm -hmm. going into too much detail, it's just not what I thought. So we have to 
bounce back and forth and there's there's a constant even though I've already warned the client or advised the client rather so warn is definitely the wrong word I've 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 <laughs> advised the client that this new way of working is uh, is going to have this is the best practice for it the clients come back and said well we actually want to work this way and I've said right well these are the caveats that I'll put in place I'm happy to kind of go on that assumption um but these are going to be the problems that you'll face going forward um, and we're almost we're almost doing a 180 and almost going back to what I've what I originally said oh. because because of the problems that I found while I've been doing my investigations. So specifically around how to how to uh, handle dependencies in SVN, oh. we have these things called externals. Um, this is actually part of my BY, BYOM later, so I'll probably Ooh, try and repeat maybe, it later on. Maybe, maybe you should hold it a little yeah, tight. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Maybe. Um, but anyway, but, so the, the problem is, is with the dependencies. At the moment, dependencies are directly referenced within the SVN repository. But in mm -hmm. the Git repository, uh, in, a, in, in best practice Git repositories are small, concise, and their dependencies are all managed by package managers normally, like NPM and NuGet and that kind of thing. Um, so you would deploy all your dependencies to an independent artifact server of some description and then reference them from there and reference specific versions, whereas they kind of currently manage everything in one big massive repository and update things as they need and whenever they Spaghetti want. Spaghetti repository! It's not, it's not, it's quite well organised, I've got to be honest. It's It's not, for but what it is, for the age, age of it. Spaghetti doesn't necessarily mean bad. Well, no, that's I mean, what I mean, but the, the, term, the term spaghetti and the term monolith um, has neg have negative connotations. It is a monolith. There's nothing you can say otherwise. It is that is exactly what that software project is. But mm. um, it it you know there are certain things we can do to kind of gradually move them up into this new world, a new way of thinking. But it's so a lot it, of process change as well. <coughs> oh, it absolutely is. Are you finding, or at least with migrations that you've done, including the ones that you're currently doing, um, that you actually have to do a test migration? I'm doing test migrations a couple of times. A I mean, day at like, the do you do you actually test the migration plan after you've written it, or do you test in phases for each individual part? Uh, well, it'll be in phases because I am delivering phases one and two at the moment for this, um, very, uh, you know, by a specific date, and that the, the discovery part of things. I'm writing, I'm implementing, and discovering the um, the migration plan and the migration scripts that I'm writing. This is going to take a while because the the complicated, you know. Um, right. Once I've once I've done that, I will run them over and over again, and I will get them to a point where it's comfortably migrating and the destination looks like it should, uh, mm -hmm. and all of the the destination looks as it, it looks and acts as it should, um, and then I will wipe the destination and run it again from scratch, and I'll run it and run it and run it until I get to a point where I'm comfortable in in doing that, and then we will then. The actual plan that I'm writing alongside it, which will, one part of that plan will be run migration script, takes two days to run the migra migration script or however long it takes, which is chaos, absolute chaos to me in my head because nothing takes two days, but it's just that is the way this has to work because it is so massive. Um, well, it's 25 years, you yeah, know. And, and then after we've done that, then there'll be things like, right, now we need to switch the developers over to using Git. Now we need to do some training or training before the switch. Uh, then we need to start looking at the old repository because they're still using it for some projects, but not all projects. And we need to start referencing the new dependencies. And uh, so all of this is part of a very long term. Um, at the moment, my delivery is quite short, but it will be a long term thing. I have to continuously 
change and improve and it's there's nothing you can do about this it's just a long a long process have you ever been a part of a migration where you've had to get a manufacturer involved oh uh, yep a number of times yes um usually microsoft <laughs> to be fair okay um, that, that, that's fair i mean i i have witnessed a migration of a monitoring platform um where they were going from one specific type of monitoring platform to another so think of like going from like cacti to something that has a little bit more beef or something like that and um the manufacturers in this particular case of the particular software had to be involved um or the the, the application that they were going to be migrating to. Hmm, software is so old school as a term, actually, now that I think about it. But um, they had to get them involved, but they were at the mercy of the schedule that they had. So where they thought that they had, you know, six months to prep and prepare and get, you know, the different resources and servers and all the infrastructure in place, they kind of received an email and said, hey, you know what? We're going to be there on Friday. Hmm. And I have never seen people panic so much. Now, luckily for me, I wasn't involved in this. I, I watched this from afar. But talk about stressing people out. I was just curious if you've ever had to deal with that because I've seen it happen in a couple places. Uh, so, for example, for companies that uh, are responsible for the actual hardware underneath the serverless architecture in the world, you know, if you have hardware blow up in such a nasty way and you actually need to get the hardware techs out there, you're still at their mercy, but you know, I've, I've seen had... the blow up in the middle of a migration before, and that hurts me. I've had <laughs> I'm to... actually really terrified for you, Chris. You have a two-day migration. What happens if something happens to the power in that time? Well, I'm. Uh, my plan is to run the final migration on uh, on a VM, which is of uh, which is on a hypervisor, uh, which is powered by a UPS. Mm. Um, industrial grade or UPS. Now, I'm only doing that because I want my computer for other things. You know, I don't want to spend two days not clicking on the X by accident, basically, you know. Um, that's the only reason that I'm I'm running that script on that, that server. But to this do the actual... This you do things in a console, Chris, because there is no X. There is in the consoles I well, use. Well, control C. And X. Well, yeah, to, on Windows, there are, yeah. So what I'm saying is I don't want to accidentally stop the process <laughs> or accidentally shut my computer down or something happen on my computer oh. that crashes it. Or This is a workstation. It's meant for work, not for actual processing. Even migrations are a serious mm. piece of work that needs to be needs to be run in a controlled environment that's stable. Um, I don't have control over that environment specifically. It's not mine. It's somebody else's. But I'm performing the work and the tests and the, writing the scripts and etc. on my local workstation. And it right. will, they will be written in such a way that they don't rely on any third party dependency that isn't installed on the VM or isn't, you know, isn't available or anything like that. Right. Um, so it's, well, there's only one actually, but I can install that and it won't run the script if I don't install it. So. <laughs> um, but no, that's the thing. It's it's about mitigating that risk and and highlighting those risks as well as part of the migration plan to say if this happens, then you know we have to restart the migration, or we can partially mi migrate it. I mean, luckily, the way that this works is I can create local Git repositories, make sure they all work on my local machine or even on the VM. Then I can do the next stage, which is trans uh, transpose them into a format that's suitable for the remote repositories, and then push the remote repositories. Right. Uh, but I have to set up the remote projects as well, uh, which I can script because it's Azure DevOps and everything is scriptable in Azure DevOps. 
with uh, ARM templates and things like that. But all of this has been catered for in my uh, in my quotes. You see, yeah, it's a hugely you, complicated piece of work that I'm doing. Have you ever had to do an emergency migration? Um, I've emerged. I've I've my, I mean, I actually did one yesterday. I did an emergency migration yesterday, Ooh. and it didn't take me that long because um, I've already got all the scripts ready for it. But I. Uh, I finally said no to uh, my current web hosts. They sent me an invoice for this year. And I was only thinking about it last week. I was thinking, then send it again. I'm just going to say no to it. And I thought it was months away, but it came in the day after. Um, <laughs> so I got Fake, I, my I got friend. my yearly invoice, which is it's quite cheap. It's not an expensive hosting provider, but I've been getting more and more disheartened with them over the years. And I don't need them anymore. I've only got some kind of legacy websites on there. So the two websites that are on there are my 19 Stone Ninjas Indie dev website and unfortunately my business website as well my shadow moses website unfortunately unfortunately because it has to be because it's a hd.net um old school old school net right um website um but it's got an angular front end it's got an uh web api back end but it's old.net framework web api and then an angular front end i'm in the middle of writing it in dotnet core so i can put it onto my um digital ocean box uh, without Angular, because I don't, I don't want the SEO overhead that we have with DNI, for example, the DNI website. Um, to be so, fair, though, the DNI website, do check it out. We do have a code up there. It, it's interesting. It's a lesson. It is. Um, I'm actually in the process of doing a migration for that as well right now. That was the last thing I was doing on yesterday's stream, um, which was the migration from Angular six, uh, Angular eight to Angular nine, which is a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Which it always is mm -hmm. on a major version update. But anyway, so yesterday, yes. I got this was an emergency because uh, my website went down. I stopped paying their invoices. I cancelled it, and the website went down within an hour. So I had to do a DNS migration. I had to create a new nginx. Um, uh, server on my DigitalOcean box and put a placeholder up basically because it's just a static HTML page. So if you go to shadowmoses.co.uk now, it is just static. <laughs> and it's embarrassing because I spent so much time putting that website together, but I haven't got the time to do anything with it right now. So it's going to be like that for a few weeks at the very least, if not months. Cobbler's kids. Sorry? It's the cobbler's kid syndrome. Yeah. Are I, you familiar I'm, with that? I've heard of it. Yeah. I've, so I've now got just my phone number on there, you know, and that's it. There's nothing else. It's just basically... You don't need anything else from me. <laughs> yeah, I, I asked that because I recently, literally in the past two weeks, I had to do a, mic, a, a real fast emergency migration for myself. There's a particular tool that I use for the work that I do. And um, the tool, I got an email from the tool provider and they simply said, you know, thank you so much for being with us. You should totally check out our new platform. We're sunsetting what you're using. Oh, nice zero warning and i went in to try to access some of the information that i had in this tool uh -uh, it won't let you and i just kind of went <sighs> so it took um it took uh one of my guys and i uh i think about four and a half hours of time that we could have used elsewhere doing an emergency migration to a tool, making certain we had everything that we had. And it was, it was frustrating. It was really frustrating because it hit at the worst possible time. And best part of all, I couldn't go out and test all the things that I wanted to test. I had to have what is classified as the GETM, the good enough for the moment type of a thing. Mm. And I'm still not certain if I'm completely happy. 
But yeah, I was just curious if you've ever actually run into a moment where you've had to do those real quick. I mean, I've had to do. They happen. I've had to do emergency fixes on live systems that have have gone wrong, which is a similar kind oh. of thing. But usually, working in prod scares me. I, I don't. I, I really don't generally oh. do it, but I've had to. You I, I've know. had to. That's the thing. We've we've all been there where we've had to make some kind of change on prod, and I don't know about you. But my fight or flight instinct kicks in when I'm in prod making changes and I start shaking because Sometimes. I've, I have been somewhere I'm like, all I'm doing is making one tiny thing, just one thing. And I've had it flop over and I'm just like, oh, but you know, at, at the, when you have to do things like that, I do lay out the risk. I'm like, you realize by doing this on prod, there is a chance everything is going to blow up mm -hmm. no matter oh but you're just changing like two words i don't Doesn't care matter. you might accidentally delete the world holding yeah it, it could be it, anything could happen so oh, man. we've talked about migrations and not necessarily all the different types of migrations but we haven't talked about why migrations happen why are they necessary oh see that's, that's the fundamental that's, we, we... That's, yeah that's an interesting one so what, what i mean when I am asked to do a migration or when I suggest to one of my clients to do a migration, it's because it's usually because what they're currently doing is, um, is for want of a better word again, legacy, or it is, um, it's impacting their productivity in the long run, or they have security issues with old pieces of code or old pieces that's, of hardware. For example, I've recently observed and part of one of my, proposals um to current client was windows 2008 r2 is going out of um going out of end of life it's going end of life as of january this needs to so be changed that's being sunset. okay um yeah, well that's that's well, 2008 r2 specifically has gone sunset on uh, january 14th i think um but that was that was one of their major <laughs> one of their primary internal servers and although it's internal and it's not the end of the world it's still a security concern <clears throat> And it needs to be addressed. And I don't particularly want to be doing any work on that server because it's out of support and there's no security updates. And I don't really want to get blamed if something goes wrong, you know, security-wise. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but on top of that, for me, a lot of the things that I'm doing at the moment are migrations from on-site, on-premises stuff into the cloud as well. Yes. And the main reason, the main reason that the main benefit of moving into the cloud is that once you set it up, and yes, there's a learning curve, and yes, there's a lot of faff to get to that point. Once you set the cloud up, and once you've got um, an investment in that, it is so much quicker and so much easier to scale horizontally. Um, it's so much quicker and so it's so much more secure in general. Although you're in the cloud, so people naturally think it's less secure, but it's actually more secure because the hardware the software, the fundamental services that are running in the background are all maintained by a multi-billion pound or dollar company of some description, usually. <clears throat> I'm talking about Amazon, Microsoft, someone like that. And I know yep. you'll have different you'll have different concerns here, but I can guarantee that if you look at smaller, um, if you look at 90% of internal servers for smaller companies that aren't using the cloud, their servers will be 10 years out of date they won't be getting security patches and they'll be using technology that is is full of security holes and is pretty much obsolete and hard to maintain. Well, I, everyone who knows me knows I'm more like Darth Securitas and I'm just simply going to say 
sometimes the problem isn't the fact that things have gone out of late. It's just that there's nobody who pays attention to the security, period. That happens too, yes. Yeah. Or if they but, are you know, tasked with it, but, they're maybe not as experienced as they should be, you know? Yeah, but going back to the why, why mm -hmm. migrations happen at all, I I personally find that a lot of it has to do with the fact that many of them are forced into it. So, for example, in my case, I do a lot of website hosting, and I have had clients come to me and they've said, um, can you help us? The functionality for this no longer works. And I'll look at it and I'll be like, that was written for something that no longer functions in this language. It's kind of been out of not use in like five years. Ouch. And I'm like, okay, no worries. But they're being forced into it by the, in the underlying infrastructure. Because a lot of the uh, clients that I work with aren't big multi-conglomerate people. Hmm. They're like your mom, pa, pizza place down the road. Or, you know, like a manufacturing center or something like that. Like there's, there's different things. And they're not... The, they're not um, overtly knowledgeable about this stuff but a lot of times people are finding themselves forced into it that's another one that i see end up happening i think yeah forced into it for two reasons one management sometimes might just say we're doing it not giving you a reason why we're doing it right we're talking about mm -hmm. again permanent employees that are kind of right this is the new project not necessarily telling them why but you know there's there's usually a fundamental reason whether they've got additional budget they need spending if they're a big company or that that is a big one that tends to happen around this time or of some, year. Or most of the time it's, right, we're coming to end of life. We've just realized that this product is no longer supported or this product uses Flash, for example. Just I have just started doing some work for somebody where their product is primarily based on Flash and I've had to enable it in all my browsers uh, to get it working. I'm sorry. I know. Um, I, I didn't even realize Flash was that obsolete. I've got to be honest with you. I haven't used it for so many years, and I didn't realize that browser. Every time you load Chrome up, you have to load. You have to uh, re-enable Flash every time. You, it does. You cannot have it enabled by default. Every session you start up. Um, so yeah. So they, they are forced into it because of technological advancements or security flaws that you know things that have been yes. deprecated because of security. It's the same kind of thing, just at a different level, at a software level rather than a hardware level. Yes, a lot, I've actually seen migrations also happen to save money. Well, I mean, that's, again, what I was saying about productivity. Um, well, not that kind of productivity. I, I've, I've migrated a client from one like, hosting provider to another simply because they would have had a cheaper price at a different place. I've had that because um, people wanted to migrate code from .NET Framework to .NET Core so, I mean, that's a huge cost, usually, especially if it's a big application, but they want to do that migration so they can save a significant amount on Linux-based hosting versus, versus Windows-based hosting. The licensing fees are outrageous for some things. They mm. absolutely are. And it's... Moving into Docker containers because the licensing fees for Docker containers are non-existent. You can, you, you can create a fully-fledged um, SQL server for nothing. And it's fully fledged. It's it's not the enterprise grade version, but it's more than enough for most applications. Most 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 people can get along with it just fine. Or use it all from going from SQL Server or Oracle or something like that to MySQL or MariaDB because they're free or they have yes. free free versions. And the thing is, now I mean Oracle I don't think does, but SQL Server now has free tiers because of that. Uh, because they they MySQL is making a huge kind of taking a huge portion of their market now. And we can link to it from .NET, you know? 
there's just so many different reasons for why migrations happen. And then, of course, the whole planning process alone, it's it's amazing. Well, but let's, let's briefly, before we finish, let's just briefly go through the other types of migrations that we've listed. So we talked about um, oh, code and infrastructure. Things. Yes. Um, so we, we talked about code and infrastructure mostly in hardware migration. Say, for example, we did a little bit uh, of uh, some hardware needs to be upgraded. It could be anything. Could be could be CPUs, Memory, GPUs, full boxes, raids. Yep. Raid Old controls. school Raid 5. It could be an ALM migration, such as um, moving over from an application lifecycle management system, like I'm doing at the moment. It's not ALM is not just about the software and or the processes, the SDLC. It's about all of them together, plus DevOps, plus managing your tickets and tasks, plus, I mean, it's the whole application lifecycle. It's a of, stack. It's, it's the not stack even a stack. Of the it's, it's just... No, it's no, that's everything. What I'm saying. It's life, that's my point. It's the life cycle stack. It's everything. Then we've got things like what I just mentioned with process migrations. So we might yeah. migrate from a waterfall-based system, um, based software delivery lifecycle into an um, agile, a, an agile or Scrum uh, and or yeah. Scrum rather, um, and and that is a huge. That's a mindset change, and this is where the people come <laughs> back into it as well. It's, it's yeah. massive. Or people might even go do the opposite and say right actually scrum isn't working for us let's go back to waterfall because that works much better for our company or a hybrid of them both because waterfall is perfectly valid in some instances it's just not always you know it's doesn't it just depends it depends it, on the, the business yeah it's everything is case use case i was about to say everything's case sensitive but the reality is it's use case sensitive and then we've got things like uh, operating system migrations, transformation projects, for example, where I've been involved directly in, in some really big um, operating system migrations from uh, from uh, Windows 98 to Ooh. the latest version at the time was Windows 10, and they migrated to Windows 8, not even 8.1. They migrated to Windows 8 because they, they weren't, that they, something to do with something in Windows 10 hadn't been signed off or they didn't have the full OWASP qualification or something. But it was nonsense. It was just they hadn't done the homework. But either way, that, that happens. People migrate to versions that they're going to have to continue to migrate from. But migrations will continue to happen as long as yeah. software and hardware exists. That's the thing. Well, migrations happen as long as humans exist because, after all, the greatest migration of all is moving from one continent to another. Well, I what, when... If, if you would have asked me right at the beginning, uh, instead of me asking you, what do you think of first? And mine is the first thing that comes to br my brain when we talk about migrations are herd migrations. Migrations of guinea pigs and <gasps> elephants. Oh. And, and if, oh. I don't know if guinea pigs migrate. They migrate from one side of the cage to the other. <laughs> from the hay to the carrots. <clears throat> don't feed your guinea pigs too many carrots, by the way. Found that out recently. There's my BYOM for today. We haven't even got to us. Well, move into the BYOM. So, welcome to the BYOM. Yes. This is where you bring our own manual and we get a chance to share something we've learned or something that we find fascinating, something that we can pass on to you. Do note that if you have your own BYOM, tag us on Twitter at DNI Stream. I want to know. Well, maybe share it. Maybe. Maybe. If you're lucky. What's your BYOM then? Is it don't feed the well, guinea pigs too many carrots? I was going to use this uh, something to do with SVN and Git, but you know I'll use the guinea pig one. So yeah, um, guinea pigs, <laughs> guinea pigs are um, a lot more fickle than people think they are in terms of the diet. Now you should always give them hay. 
always. They should always have some kind of hair to chew on because it helps the teeth, it helps the digestion, it keeps them regular, keeps them very, very happy as well. Unfortunately, it also carries mites, so they um, can sometimes get mite, mites from it, but not that often. They might actually live on guinea pigs. I can tell you loads of facts about guinea pigs, by the way. Um, but their diet, don't feed them carrots every day because they contain, I think it contains too much calcium in a carrot and their wee will turn white and that indicates that they've got too much. Don't feed them things like kale and uh, um, what's the other one? Spinach every day. They should be treats for them. They are absolute treats for them. Um, but you can give them things like, uh, well, they always need nuggets and things like that, but there was uh, celery, peppers, that kind of thing. They can have them every day as a, as a staple diet. So if you buy any, if you ever buy a guinea pig, one, rescue it. But secondly, make sure you check up what its diet should be like and get it a friend as well. Mm. Too many facts yeah. there. Too many BYOMs there I, for I, you. I, I, I feel completely obsolete with the fact that I'm only bringing in one interesting thing that I learned <laughs> this week. Oh my gosh. I've been so busy in migrations. Like this entire show itself is almost my BYOM. Yeah. But um, no, I was... Uh, I use Mobex term for a lot of the sessions and connections that I do for many of the servers that I look after. And um, I I was set up and I was uh, put into a couple of boxes and I had them do their updates because one of the beautiful things about it is you can run one command across many boxes at once. It's so beautiful. It saves time. It's lovely. But anyway, so I get up to go get a drink and I come back and I sit down and I got interrupted by a client email, which started a chain of events and everything was going through. And then I finally get back to the terminal and I am witnessing four penguins currently floating down my screen in MOBA Xterm. One of them has a jackhammer starting to drill through the lines in the console that I had open on the script that I was actually looking at. One of them was just like sort of flying back and forth. One of them had a little propeller hat. I'm like, I had no idea that MOBA Xterm had a screensaver. Like, what? That was cool. like the most amazing thing ever. It, it honestly made my day because at the time, the particular thing that I was working through the client was sort of um, uh, one of those sore points where you're trying to figure out, I know what you want. I'm trying to give you what you want, but why is it not? Why am I not getting this through to you clearly? How can I help here? I, so I was getting a little frustrated. Also, I'm just going to keep saying it. Don't use GoDaddy people. I've said, but anyway, <laughs> Um, so I coming back and just seeing little propeller hats. Every time, every time I see, every I time I like, see a GoDaddy advert on TV, you pop into my head going. <laughs> you know, my my husband said it perfectly. He says GoDaddy as a service is absolutely insert the worst name you can think of here. Their marketing is ingenious. Uh, well, it's it ingenious is. for for people who just want a website. Not for technical people. I would like to think that technical people aren't caught by that. Aren't brought, you know, aren't drawn in by it, rather. Tepe apparently also had the uh, the MOBA X term little swishers happening, but they made my day. Oh. Good. It's all good. I uh, oh. I use I use Commander in uh, in Windows, so I can put a background on mine, but that's about as far as it goes. Well, in my particular case, when I'm doing massive groups of, you know, updates for servers and things like that, it's just so much easier for me to have everything open and press one line and just send it all off to do what it needs to do. Yeah. That's why I use it. But, you know, hey, things happen. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I think we we've finished. Show? 
we're at yep, we are. We're at the end of our show. A massive thank you to everyone in the Twitch chat who got involved. Hello, Tiltepe. Hello, Ancient Coder. We see you. And we see a couple of others of you who are just like lurking. Hi. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> Yeah. We do also want to thank everyone who listens in the future to this particular podcast. And you can visit our website on www.dnistream.live. I haven't yet put it live because I'm upgrading Angular to 9 and it's a nightmare getting um, getting the SSR working, the, the server-side rendering universal new stuff. They've changed the engine in completely as to how it works. So I'm oh. having to fix a few things and, and get it all working. Um so yeah, um, you can go on our website, find all our discovery platforms, uh, sign up to us on iTunes and all the other good good things. You can always use it to contact us as well if you want to come on the show as a guest. If you've got yeah. any particular subjects you want us to talk about that we may or may not have any experience in, we'll try our best if we don't. Yeah, and we also Ooh. are trying to constantly find guests who want to come on and potentially teach us things too. I mean, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Chris may be perfect, but I sure as hell are not. Oh, well, I I'm, could always I'm wow. perfect, but I'm only perfect up to a point. I am only perfect about the things I know after that. You're practically perfect in every way? Almost. Almost. <laughs> well, yes, and you can go to our Twitch uh, channel as well, actually. You're on our Twitch channel. Follow. Uh, there? Yeah, over there. Follow. We'll figure out this streaming thing someday, Chris. We will, one day. Um, so you can follow our Twitch channel, um, and I do quite a lot of uh, dev uh development podcasts as not podcasts vodcasts as well oh it's all going wrong i'm not following it the is. script that's the problem you're not following script and this is why it's failing but it's not really failing it's it's evolved it's migrating chris it's what it's doing so it's in, in answer to ancient coders um question what platform is our podcast on it's on all the platforms um we host on something called fireside uh, so mm -hmm. we're on dnistream.fireside.fm but if you go on to www.dnistream.live and click on the podcast something there's a, there's a drop listen down to us or something yeah like listen that. to yeah. us or something like that and um, there's a drop down and that's it's basically spotify everything else so you can you can spotify, find us on Apple, itunes spotify yeah. Castbox, like yeah. you name it we are going to be in the process of doing some renaming of some things as well when we go live with our new website um but other than that it should all be all be good should be. Yes, and we do, of course, hope to see you all next week on Thursday, 7 p.m. UK time, here at twitch.tv slash stream. I'm not going to immediately read that last line because there's one last thing I would like to ask. If you are listening to us and you like what we're doing, please share us with your friends. And if you really feel like giving us a little ego boost, I mean, Chris's beard may not need it, but, you know, I might. Feel free to leave us, like, a review or something on, like, iTunes or something, you know. Can you do that on iTunes? Yeah, you can. Oh, cool. Excellent. Have you not? Oh, my gosh. Never used iTunes because I don't touch Apple products. I'm sorry. I, I'm, I, I'm... I, uh, to be blunt, the only reason why I have an iTunes account is specifically to make certain we can put our podcasts up there because you have to have an iTunes account in yeah, order yeah. to do so. And I, I would, uh, I mean, it's not that I have anything particularly against Apple products. I've just never, it's just never, never been a thing that I've been interested in. So I had an iPod. Oh, I did. And I broke but it. But I won it. All right. I so dropped. I, I've, I've never bought. I dropped my product. mine from about that distance onto a carpet and it smashed. So. What's the point if it if it can't resist that you know I I just you know I, I saw know. the greatest cartoon. It was an old Nokia brick phone sitting on a rocking chair, and it had like two iPhones on the ground going. Tell us about the time you fell from the third step, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, 
Uh -huh. I went, oh, that is such an amazing cartoon. Because all I could think was, yeah, stuff was made better back in the day. Yeah. Back when you could buy a television and it'd last you 30 years. I've still got a microwave downstairs that my mum and dad got for, for their uh, wedding. That I think it was a wedding in the 80s. And it still works and it's perfectly fine. You know, it's only 600 mm -hmm. watt, but it works. It's loud. It's like a plane <laughs> taken off, but it works, you know? Yep. But yes, anyway. all that's left for us is to say bye-bye. And if those of you who are live watching us stick around till afterwards... We might go looking for a friend. Yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll do that in a minute. Bye all. Back Bye in a bit. everyone.